0: What if we could reimagine the traditional notion of a high flyer? Hey friends, welcome back or welcome to the High Flyers podcast. For the curious ones, where we share diverse experiences in life, not just work, tune in and learn to fly high in your own way, from value creators and problem solvers in all aspects of society. Learn about their sunrise, magic moments, hustle, and so much more to help us all be one percent better every day together. And I'm your host, Vidit Agarwal.
1: And that experience in Dubai, like, what did it teach me? Like, you know, I, I worked on a few deals, but I really learned how to get things done, how to facilitate business, um, and some fantastic stories um, of uh, ingenuity in terms of getting deal closes done in closing deals in two languages, uh, Arabic and English, um, managing to get documents signed by shakes, like before they're about to get onto their boat and all this kind of thing. Like I once went to a, um, a store and bought a printer and drove it to, um, with a laptop set up an office, like on the site in a room, um, to, to get a, a document done. If it wasn't done, then we'd have to wait six weeks. And that kind of like hustle factor, um, I learned from being in that market, um,
0: that's Michael Rodriguez and this is episode 42. I often get asked which episode really stuck with me and this might be just one. Mike shares upbringing in Sydney, Australia with Indian parents, with cultural nuances and a heavy influence family. Here about the key moments that led to Mike studying engineering and law and then going on to have a career across construction, law, media, starting timeout media, leaving and then returning to scale it, and more recently being appointed the Commissioner of the 24-Hour Economy of Sydney, affectionately known as the Nighttime Mayor of Sydney. I asked Mike to talk about his move from Sydney to Dubai, at a time when Dubai was not the buzzing city it is today, and also topics like networking, particularly around how to build value add relationships rather than transactions. Mike, welcome to the show. It's such a thrill to have you on, mate.
1: It's a pleasure, uh, Vidit, and thank you for inviting me. And I'm really looking forward to today's chat.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. You've, got, you've had a fascinating journey to date, which continues. So, looking forward to sharing your story. Now, I love asking guests to start off. If there, if you've had a high fly in your life that perhaps didn't get the recognition, is there someone that comes to mind that you can think of?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question to kick off with, and. Um, I think that as you go through life, you find different people that you connect with for different things. And I guess right at the moment, uh, I'm you know t- new job that hasn't been done before, wasn't even there till I started it. And I guess like I'm looking for support from a lot of people, and I, I have a, a great uh, a great bank of advisory, informal advisory, I <laughs> describe it as, and there's a couple of names there. Um, there's a, a very good long term friend of mine and. Guess, co campaigner, chap named Rennie Adabo, who I met when he was the MD of Sonos Australia. And he um, was also, prior to that, uh, I think head of Xbox marketing and uh, maybe worked at Telstra in marketing roles. And and, um, he's just a little bit older, a little bit wiser than me. He'd hate me saying that, but the older bit, but he's definitely wiser than me. And he is a great, great coach. Uh, um, So, uh, and he's, you know, he's a like a, i guess he doesn't have a public profile necessarily but he's a highly intelligent educated driven person and and the why of that question probably is more uh, why him well because uh, i think in life you can get yourself into situations where everyone's in violent agreement with you or um and and what you realize is better to have people who can violently disagree with you uh and then because it challenges thinking both ways and you tend to come to a good a good middle ground better solution potentially than either one of you um you know of course sorry for using the word violent like but just in terms of respectful of course but a good debate shall we say so yeah i'll give him a big shout out
0: fantastic love it now now let's roll it back mike to your to your sunrise your childhood and your early beginnings um when you think of that what was that period like what was the influence of family and the influence of your environment
1: interesting timing this uh, Podcast because yeah. yesterday I spent a full day in a leadership uh, um, process in my new government agency with uh, uh a somewhat um scarily talented group of individuals uh which I felt myself having to sit up straighter and make sure I too could you know um maintain. The in intensity of that, and it was a, a I guess, a, a similar discussion really about um the forces that shape you and critical moments, and so I've been I'm, I'm I've gone from one uh um one episode in the trilogy straight into the next, you know, uh, today with this this podcast, but but uh, you know my 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 I guess my sort of story was my parents migrating from India um uh, you know late sixties into Australia and um. At the time, white Australia policy was, you know, it was, it was coming to the end of it, but it sort of still, Australia had that 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 um, period of its history it was <laughs> still going through. So my mum my was able to, I guess, get a priority um, uh, immigration because she was a doctor and I think there was a doctor shortage. And I think that there's also a few Indians of my generation, if I'm ever at the cricket, for example, and I see a brown face of my age. I'm like, do we know each other? And inevitably, like we don't, but our parents are both doctors who came out in that sort of batch. Um, so, uh, and, and what was interesting is uh, that we ended up in Liverpool, which is in the Sydney Southwest. And uh, it's a area that I guess, um, and I'll speak pre- post-colonial um, for this, but um, was, you, you know, I guess like sort of middle Australia and lower socioeconomic and then waves of immigration from Europe. Um, post-war and and so uh, I I guess I'm teasing out the uh, situation when you happen to be the one brown kid in your class um, and uh, and and then you know what what that does um, and I guess I frame it up as this thing of uh, for me um, what I call learning to be invisible um, because you know it and and I should say by the way i come from a a a stable family background um well educated um but when you're a a child on the playground and you're being bullied um for your color name called um because you're different um it takes a little piece out of you i think um and and outside the physical threats as well which um in those days of course getting punched up was um you know part of part of growing up um as a as a young boy uh you you know you quickly and I wasn't a very good fighter. Um, Dad tried to teach me, but you know, in fact, he gave me this anecdote, which he's like, "I was getting called Blackie at school, actually," and um, and I was like, "Dad, I'm getting called Blackie at <laughs> Blackie at school," and he's like, "Well, that's okay, son. You'll just call them White Liver," and I'm like, "I don't get it, Dad. I don't well, white White Liver why?" And he goes, "White on the outside, white on the inside," and, and and I'm like, "I think that could just be at too high level, Dad. I don't know that people understand that one." They're only six, you know. Um. So, it, um. But, but yeah, that, that 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 was kind of, I think, partly what shaped me in a sense. Um. And and then I found myself gravitating as in through high schooling years into the Italian community because, um, they were also a little bit, you know, conflict with. Uh, <laughs> it's such another era, man. Talking about it's, you know, someone listening to this thinking, um, it's so politically incorrect. But you know, there was, um, white Australians were called Skippies. Um, you know, Italians were called wogs. Um, I was called black. Um, and, uh, you know, but the wogs were kind of a bit more friendly to me. So I sort of hung out with them mm. for safety. Um, and, and, you know, my very best friend today, Mickey Gliotti, um, we got to a playground fight where he called me milk Mars bar and I called him Milky way. And, you know, and now, now we're <laughs> lifelong friends. Um, and, but, but I guess that that's some of the things that, um, that, you know, shape you and, and, as I look through then um, my, you know, and, and what impact does it make? Well, learning to be invisible was a way of learning to fit in, in a sense, um, and and fitting in in many different environments. Um, and I think that as I as I progressed through schooling um, um, and, you know, by the time you get to 15, 16, everything's been ironed out to a degree, you know, like, and that was a great thing about the school. I went to St. Greg's in Campbelltown by the time we got to, Seventeen or eighteen, I was on the, um, you know, school council and all the rest of it, and I was quite, um, for that, one of the brighter kids in the in the school, so did well academically, and, um, and then I guess um, moved moved from there into into um, my, my you know tertiary education, um, which I'm happy to talk a little bit about if you'd like, or I can uh, you know throw back to you.
0: It sounds like you you sort of saw the short end of the world. Pretty early on, right? Like, what would you say now looking back and reflection were the influences at that point? Like, obviously you said your parents were, were an influence and, and, and the schooling system. Did you have any any people you look to in this time? Because you're figuring out your own life, you're young in life, you're in a new country, but because you're born in that country, that to you is normal. Who, who were your influences if you think back to then? Did you have any teachers that kind of you relied on or friends or people yeah. in the sport network?
1: Yeah, it's, it's great, um, to, to tease that out, you know, and, and I think as well, like particularly, um, and I like just, um, straight talk, you know, like I'm a, a a brown man, you're a brown man. Um, and, um, we, you know, and we're male, um, and, you know, one of the challenges of our days is, you know, what the white male, um, is sort of going through, um, and, um, and 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 the challenges when you stereotype you know this is the the thing um so so um one of the key influences was my year five teacher chap named michael kermode um who was the archetype you know he was uh um he played uh football rugby league for the newtown jets um and um and that was when it was a more amateur sort of thing you know he'd have to work as a school teacher and played almost semi-professional i suppose and um And 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 what was interesting, I want to call it out, is that he, um, uh, you you know, because if you were to present his CV, people go, oh, you know, this is this is the problem in Australia, (laughs) like you got, but but Mike, um, you know, I think recognized that I was different from, um, you know, my physical appearance, but also my intelligence, Uh, and you know, and when you're 11, you don't 10, you don't think about this, but are there people being your guardian angel, like looking out for you, and and uh, I sort of tip him as one one type of person who, you know, made things a little easier for me in hindsight, you know, made, just kept an eye on me. Um, and uh, so the, probably one influence. Um, and then in the high schooling years, um, we had a fantastic um, Maris brother, um, brother Ralph, who was, you know, like highly, highly gifted. And um, again, uh, one of the takeaways, so he taught me four-unit mathematics, um, which four-unit for, maths was not... I was good at it, but you know, not 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 the level that he was by any stance. He was he was actually decoding things during the war and so forth and but but he um he had a great interest in the human brain and uh and and I was taught to play piano, um, which is kind of again a common um experience for for people with um Asian background, I guess, uh or not uncommon. And uh the piano playing um piece was rare in that school because it was a cricket rugby league academic school and um and I remember him telling me this he said always talk about your music in interviews and I was like why and he said well you know the brain is left and right um science and arts and and music is a scientific art and it is right like there are rules and it has creativity in it but there is a science to 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 music and what he said is that people who have that element tend to have a sort of third dimension to the way they think um and you know some of these things you know stick with you and some of them don't and um i guess i sort of embraced that then um and in you know it was, wasn't um ashamed of it of my musical ability In perhaps at some point like you know in those sort of early teens or perhaps um didn't make too big a song and dance about nine no pun intended because it would only add to cer- certain challenges I was facing in the playground. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'd call out those two as as teachers.
0: Yeah, no, really interesting. And then and if we think forward to when you were 16, 17, and you're coming towards the end of high school and you've got to figure out life and you, you've you probably got a sense of what you like or maybe you're still learning and and you've been through this journey, as you call it, What what was your what was your aspiration in life? Like, did you have any path ahead either set by yourself or your family or by the environment you were in?
1: I love being a stereotype, right? Like my, my dad was, um, um, he, he had, he's like, the first thing is you need to be a doctor of the soul, be a priest. Um, I was raised Catholic. I should, should, should add. And then, uh, and then, um, the second is be a doctor of the body, you know, so you need to get into medicine, son. And, and you know the dad I had an older brother 4 years older I should call him out actually because it's great having an older brother someone who's sort of had to tread the path before you you know and you kind of the uh, only problem was when I when I was in high school he was like stay away from me you know um, um he stood at the back of the bus um his friends looked after me a bit but um but, but yeah the um uh, the the my dad's um guidance really I was forced you know like it was um Classic, you, you know, out of such a regimented timetable. He, he used to work. He was from in the merchant navy. or was trained in the merchant navy. So, coming into the years eleven and twelve, I was on a six a.m. wake up, um, an hour study, um, then get ready for school, go to school, come back, go to sleep from four till six. Get up at six, study through to midnight um, with a couple of piano um, hours chucked in the middle of all of that, and um, and I really went hard at that HSC um, and. And and part of it was his drive to ensure that I got into medicine. And I, I remember having a lot of arguments with him because I didn't – I wasn't drawn to medicine and um, I wanted to be in business, I said to him. And, um, and you know, and then I was, I guess, sort of – I don't know whether Asians have this generally, but you're kind of like, oh, I have to be respectful for my parents, but also – you know, I am my own person, you know, my friends are doing this, they have freedom, they have autonomy. Why can't I have it as well? And so I, I, um, I was pressured into doing medicine and, um, and well, just frankly, when the HSC results came out, um, the season sort of got made, I, I was eligible to go do it, but I had to go to Newcastle to do it. And, um, dad didn't want me to leave home. So, um, you know, I ended up um doing engineering and law instead and, uh, dad was still pressuring me to go and do, um, uh, a transfer into medicine in, you know, um, year two, um, from engineering and law and, you know, happily, um, yeah, well, uh, I shouldn't say happily, I feel a bit bad, but let's just say my first year at university, I made up for lost time in terms of, um, socializing, um, and, um, my grades while decent were not sufficient to uh, gain me entry into into the medical faculty so yeah a bit of bit of sort of focus on that and um and the decision to do engineering and law was a function of um my brother having done science and law and then my dad saying oh you know engineering and law two, two, two professions price of price of one you know <laughs> it's not just classic sort of well oh, that seems a better value proposition <laughs> um and it was murder like it was just yeah. really hard doing those degrees because um it was you know it's class, it's universities soliciting students, I guess, um, uh, and going, well why can't we offer it?" which was a good idea, but they hadn't done anything to to coordinate the delivery of the degree, so you know you' just like I looked at my time like they can't they don't work, you know you can't do both of these and a lot of conflicts and um, yeah, really sort of struggled um, with engineering. it's a tough degree um, and mm. law law is um, harder to do well in but you know, easier to pass in a sense. So, um, yeah, it was sort of five or six years of that. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating
0: hearing you say that because the thing that's sort of evident is it seems like up to this point your parents have played a really big role in shaping who you are, right? By choice or by circumstance. But then, obviously, as we as we'll touch on later on, you went down a path which was probably different and entrepreneurial and and sort of creative. Do you think that that was, that connects back to your childhood because it was so structured and formalized, you sort of wanted to break away from that now in reflection?
1: Um, like, I think that the, I can only really comment on my upbringing and, um, the thing of being guided or directed strong direction in our family structure, um, was you sort of did things without questioning. It wasn't, it was not. Half of the course to question like, why are you questioning me? I am your parent. Um, and, and, um, you know, I actually remember that brought back a memory. Actually, I was, uh, I was going to, um, submit my UAC form. That was the um, university admissions thing that they called it at the Mm. time. And it was a bizarre arrangement of medicine applications, law, dentistry as well got thrown in because if I couldn't be a doctor. I should be a dentist. And, um, and I remember, um, it was maybe pre just mobile phones i can't remember if phones existed in 1992 93 uh, anyway but long story short i had this big fight with my dad about it and um and then he mum must have spoken to him or something because he i remember having a conversation he's like son you know you need to also find your own way like there was that kind of um amelioration and i don't i'd never thought of it as a seminal point but maybe it has been um but but once i got into that engineering and law thing i understood that it was a really rare um pairing you know there's not many people do those degrees together and and then i was like well what opportunities can come out of it and 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 then i was just um looking at it and going well there's not many construction lawyers uh, sydney's a very construction led town maybe it's a great specialty to be able to bring these two degrees so it wasn't really a calling so much as hey i've got this i've got that what can i do? What, what how can i extract the most value from it and that and that sort of formed my thinking going into professional life like i I, um, while at university, went and did uh, trainee engineering um, placements with latent contractors at the time and uh, fantastic uh, life experience for, you know, someone just 20 being on construction sites and uh, learning to, um, well, just being outdoors and working for starters. And, um, um, and then secondly, you know, learning to engage with people of all ages and backgrounds, you know, in in that context and, and, yeah, and, and, so, so I, I've done that experience and then um, touching on people who have influences on your life, another chap, Lee Price, the project manager of a construction site, after two years of working um, for him or three years, uh, including on the Homebush Bay Rail Link, the thing that took people out to the Olympic Games in 2000, uh, he's like, Mike, you've got to go work in head office, you know. And he was throwing me a lot of like um, – uh, subcontracts. He's like, well, you you've got a law degree. You should be doing this kind of work, you know, like forced me into it a bit. I mean, courage me into it. I should say, not forced, but he'd bring me into meetings with lawyers and things. And I'd sort of have to, uh, you know, that was great. Someone looking out for you like that is amazing, you know, and I tried to do that when I've had people under my guard now, um, guidance. So like, I, I guess, um, you know, that direction was coming to go into a career in like, you, you know, uh, engineering and law so therefore from there into allens and um and then into project finance really is a way of uh thinking about could i go traveling internationally and finance is a transferable skill as opposed to you know litigation or um a construction which is a little tends to be a bit more um less transferable so so i think i was like many on a um professional journey and i think that that's one of the things with the australian education system which we should you know think about which is this vocation bias it's like at age 18 you can make a decision on what you will be you know Mm. like and and look at that decision engineering and law and now i'm like a, a bureaucrat um in government um you know looking after sydney's nightlife and nighttime economy you know it's not a logical not a logical progression by any stretch of the imagination and so um from a I think that the, the, I think getting to, um, you, you know, it, it's the um, sliding doors moment maybe, and um, when 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 did I suddenly go? I'm going to leave leave these, you know, a ten year career or whatever it was at that stage in engineering and law, and go into into media. And how did that happen? And um, you know, I think that that's the um, the wh- where that moment came from was, um, I think actually in the circle the circle of watching what happens when people leave a country um to find a better future that i think about immigrant parents as the best entrepreneurs because you know it's one thing to go and raise 5 million dollars to launch a media business like i did but there's another thing entirely to go you know what i'm going to leave my country with 20 bucks land and see what happens you know and um um and, and and so I, I remember speaking to my dad about it and um and he said you you know look I don't know much about media. You don't know much about media. Talk to me about it. And um I mean to be honest, I didn't read magazines either. Like I was like, oh, you know, I just <laughs> thought it'd be a cool thing to do. And um and it was and is by the way. Um, let me be clear about that. But it it um it it was it was a um you know, he said it there in the you know, look, it sounds like a good opportunity and um, you know, like and, and you don't get opportunities like that all the time, you know. And and I was like um, doing well in my profession, doing well in the partnership um, in on partnership track in Dubai, and, and having come out of Allen's working for some of the best project finance lawyers in the country, like it had a, it's a great fallback, right? Like you know, knowing that you could go into another career, and then what's your worst case? Well, you know, go go back into something I was good at, something I did care about, but um, perhaps not as passionately. I don't know, but I don't know. I tend to get into things and just. Give, give it a go. I think you, mm. you know, do it and do it well. Do it to the best of your ability. You find your passion um, as opposed to having a passion and then trying to pursue it. I think that that's one of those sorts of common discussions. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, I don't know if I've answered your question very well, but like it, it's that thing about not recognizing an opportunity and taking it, um, um, having the confidence to do that or the stupidity, whichever way you look at it.
0: There's probably there's really two thoughts there, Mike. I think one would be listeners hearing that, probably going that it sounds like when you went into that path with project engineering and then law you enjoyed it even though it was a direction from your parents it wasn't like you went there were hating it at least that's what it sounds like to me hearing you say that there's a bit of passion there which is which is I think rare because I think particularly in today's society a lot of people particularly law I think they do it for approval from others and maybe they don't enjoy it because it is a very intensive industry right? Um, and I think second second one is I was curious because I only touched Dubai and I imagine that'd be one of your magic moments where you packed up from Sydney and you and you went to Dubai. What was that experience like? I imagine you're still figuring out, I think, from what I understand, you were five, six years into your career at this point when you went to Dubai.
1: Is that right? I've got a reflection on your observation there, which um, one thing that I've done in any professional context is network to the best person possible so um so so for example you know if you're going to go apply for to work in engineering what are the best ones to work for then once you're in that organization who are the best people in the organization to work for when i went to the law firm i um i i started in construction law um and then and then um i didn't know much about finance at all in fact i was like I, i didn't study finance at university um i can't remember doing it it was under the subject property and equity, which I was like, it was a very big textbook. I didn't really read that one. Um, and 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 there was a chap named Philip Cornwall who at the time was, um, uh, you, you know, top project finance lawyer in the in Asia Pac maybe or Australia at least. And um, I, I was like, oh, I think I should go and work for him if I can. So I, I networked to get to work for Philip. Um, so so and and the reason why I want to sort of tease out this story is that um I, like I have such a long admiration and respect for um him um and have been so grateful to be able to mentor his son which is another story all altogether which I can come to if you like but you know F- Philip um I do feel for Philip you have to deal with a 20 something who knew nothing about like uh, and just put up with it you know but but um but he, he he again took me under my wing and I tried my best and um and 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 what happened was when I went to leave um, the firm, um, Philip's like, "Well, sorry, like you know, where are you going? Dubai? We're, like, what's that? <laughs> I'm not, I'm, one of my one of my um, students isn't going to just go and waste his career somewhere, right? And Dubai at that time mm. wasn't understood, yeah, recognized legal market. Um, um, I think I was the third Australian lawyer on the ground in Dubai, um, and." And but uh, there was sort of economic recessions and things going on, so London wasn't recruiting at the time, and I think it was around the SARS year in Singapore and so far in, in Asia. So, so but I looked at Dubai and thought, you know what, like it has the characteristics of Hong Kong um, in terms of you know size of law firms that you could work for across multiple multiple disciplines, and um, so you know because one of the challenges in the Australian legal market is you get pigeonholed very quickly into a small job. Um, uh, you know, into a, into one little department or whatever, and focus on one type of work, and that can be limiting. Um, so how can you stretch your horizons? So I was like, great firm I worked for, work, for there, Dentons, and um, had you know thirty odd lawyers or something like that. Um, and and the so so there was that observation. That then the other part was that Philip um. And another partner, Dick, and they are like, well, who are you going to go work for? Who are they? Um, and it happened that Neil Cuthbert, um, the partner I worked for there in Dubai, ultimately had worked with my with other partner in Allen's. And he's like, oh yeah, he was a good, he was a good um, lawyer. Should, you can go work with him. It was almost like I had to get approval to leave the firm. And, I, like, and the one thing, um, this might be a long story, but it comes to a, a salient point because on leaving the firm, I wanted references from partners and there was a the whole debate, can you get them because of being sued if you're not good at your job and so forth. But, I managed to extract references and um, a couple of partners signed them on my behalf, but Philip took the time and trouble to adapt the reference I'd written for myself and change it from saying Mike's a strong, I was like, Mike's an exceptional lawyer, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and Philip wrote, um, Mike's a strong lawyer, but he's great with clients and networking. And, and that type of insight. And that's what I was actually good at in the legal environment. and, And it's been a through line into business is a lot of lawyers know the knowledge component of it, but aren't necessarily great with business development, Mm. client relationships and so forth. And, um, and that experience in Dubai, like what did it teach me? Like, you know, I I worked on a few deals, but I really learned how to get things done, how to facilitate business Um, and some fantastic stories um, of uh, ingenuity in terms of getting deal closes done in, Closing deals in two languages, uh, Arabic and English. Um, managing to get documents signed by sheikhs like before they're about to get onto their boat and all this kind of thing. Like I once went to a, um, a, a stationary store and bought a printer and drove it to um, with a laptop and set up an office like on site in a room um, to, to get a, a document done because if it wasn't done then we'd have to wait six weeks. You know, that kind of like hustle mm. factor um, I learned from being in that market. Um, so uh, yeah, I've gone entirely off topic here, but it's that um, thing of I didn't um, – what do you enjoy about the job? And I think that what, there's what we perceive a job to be and what the job actually is. And then, um, you know, can you make – can you understand and make a, a change or do something different to present the stereotype? And and and, and like I, I think for some of the listeners, the thing about it is that um, – people sometimes can accept the world the way it is, right? Like, and therefore, it's a very structured approach and and a seeking of permission to act, you know, um, to change. And that's the single biggest um, um, question, I think, for people, or for me anyway, um, is is understanding that you can actually affect a change, right, in the first instance, and then having the courage to do so and live with the consequences of doing it, right, good or bad. You need to be able to Mm. take that step. And some steps are smaller um, than others. It's not too big a deal to switch from construction, engineering into project finance or to switch from Allen's in Sydney to Denton's in Dubai. It's a bigger leap to go from Denton's in Dubai into launching a media business, granted. But, you know, it's taking that, understanding you have permission, it's your life and you can do it, you know. Um, um, What rules can you bend? Which ones can you break?
0: That's so good. I I completely agree with that. I think that the, the point that resonates through that is belief. Uh, and I've always said, if you have belief in yourself, then others are going to believe in you. And I think if there's young people listening to this, that's probably the biggest takeaway. And I think just seeing your journey, that's probably one thread that's evident is belief in yourself. And that's allowed you to do all these things.
1: Yeah. Um, it raises this other, um, and it's a bit tangential now in, in, in terms of chronology, but um there is this thing of belief and um one you, you you have to have it and um and if you don't and you can be naive right like you know i was naive um launching timeout
0: but i think that's also but, a good thing right sometimes you have to be naive to
1: yeah. the biggest oh, changes just, are
0: naive that's where they change things
1: the 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 the, the roadless traveled mm. now for sure but i think there's also an element of um and as you get through life you would like to think you learn from your past experiences right um and i think that you know there's this um there's this is great youtube video and i've forgotten it but you'll know it, the reference the you know the, the crazy dancing um i have the guy one, one guy standing on the hill dancing crazy right and everyone's like what's he doing mm. and then the second yeah the second yes. follower yes. the first follower yes. the first follower effect think, of course. Yes. um you know i think that um that that in time um that first and third follower like um you know because after you've seen that what you realize is if you have an idea you can make the second and third follower come with you you can schedule it right so so when you look at uh say for example um the movement of um under the nighttime industries association unite for the night was a campaign that we sort of ran prior to um prior to uh a new south wales state government election in 2019 the the um question there is will could i get people to follow and and who would believe and who would not believe and i canvassed the market quite broadly and um and you know it's it was interesting um for me because there was people who were just like are oh, you wasting your time you know and you won't get anywhere or this is what the issue is or and but then it's i realized that there was other people who were like oh well you know we've got to stop talking we've got to do something um so well, this sounds believable let's go and do it you know and that like, that gets that sort of thing to the you know can you get 20% of a market doing something? Because if you can, you will change the rest of the market and and um, because of the law of diffusion of innovation. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's the, um, you know, innovator, early adopter, early majority um, curve uh, under a bell curve. And that 10 to 18% um, of the market is the hard part. Can you get from 10% to an 18% mark? And if you can, from 18% onwards, it, it tends to follow any, any trend that goes through society tends to follow those it's tipping point, you know, it's tipping point, um, market theory. So like, I think that that belief thing, as you go through life is, um, is also, uh, tempered or, um, yeah, tempered or added to with experience, um, so that you get better at, uh, going from an idea, um, to first, second follower, um, and then, you know, execution, um essential though essential so i think that's what we're you know in terms of career trajectories and arcs and so forth for me personally my question is um you know like am i at what stage am i on on my own journey now you know how much more can i learn how much more can i do how can i improve etc like am i can I create more impact now 100% I can you know because I'm in a I've been given such a privileged position in new south wales state government now to to really um take some of the talk and turn it into action for not you know 20 people in my neighborhood but you know citizens of new south wales and uh, across ac- across the country so uh yeah um essential to life um but Experience helps.
0: Mm. Now, also I think magic moments. One of the things I'd be curious about is some of the painful learnings, and it's intentionally called painful learnings that it was painful in the moment, but but you look back on it now and it was a positive learning in life or in work. Is there one yeah. or any that stand out for you?
1: There is a key moment. Okay. There is one key moment, um, and. Uh, that shines out or um is duller than others, <laughs> I don't know if you want to put it, but but yeah, the story of time out was uh um one that um has fundamentally um shaped me and it was uh you know, I think uh, age thirty, coming out of engineering and law, top firms, all this stuff, like you indef yeah, you know, you know, indefeatable, right? Like And this is post Dubai
0: yeah posted yeah. by
1: coming back mm-hmm. who's the man i'm the man you know like <laughs> i'm going to i'm going to raise this money and i'm going to build this company and it's going to exit for this and um it's cool like finally i'm one of the cool kids now like look at me um and and um of course uh the this this narrative began to change um on on the day the subprime mortgage market collapsed um you know which happened to be the date that we uh um signed everyone into contracts with with uh um you know, the business, um, notwithstanding, we didn't have the funding fully agreed, nor did we have the license agreement for timeout. Um, And so I remember, um, you know, that was the beginning of the business. This is, um, I think, 2007, August, 6th of August, 9th of August. And I I was um, multitasking and I went to to London to sign the agreement and they're like, what about your financing, Mike? And I'm like, well, yeah, there's this, I don't know if you heard about this uh, subprime mortgage market collapse. Yeah, they have pulled the IPO that we were meant to be part of, but don't worry, it'll be fine. We'll we'll sort it out. Don't worry about it. And um, the the reason I tell you this story is that we we launched into that world, right, into the GFC essentially, and um, the business went went off track pretty quickly. And um, I'd co-founded it um, with uh, another chap and um, basically – um, you know, and this happens in business all the time for founders. Founders of businesses have bear the scars. And one of them is that when things go wrong, uh, you need um, an explanation as to why, particularly if you want to raise more investment. And and part of the explanation as to why was that, well, Mike, Mike's a great guy. And to be fair to me, I, I'd only looked after the, you know, the fundraising side and the legal structuring, not the publishing component. But they were quite right in identifying that I didn't know anything about publishing. Um, and therefore I was a headcount that you could potentially be, um, you know, got rid of. Um, and so I basically got exited um, from the company that I founded. Um, and, and the issue with that was that, um, uh, you know, I brought in investors, um, including my former boss in Dubai, my family. And I have this real like moment of, can I, you know, I can't let this fail um, if I've got ounce of energy in my body because I've given my word to people. And so I, um, you know, I, I was made redundant by the business. Um, so lost income. Um, I managed to renegotiate, help renegotiate a refinancing and find new partners for the business. But they exited me essentially um, as an executive. And I only hung on to my director um, seat by because I was the one that brokered um, part of the refinance. And then, um, yeah, so that's quite a tough process to go through because you basically got tap on the shoulder from the chairman saying, well, you know, come with me. Um, you're not the right person. You've done a great job. See you later. Don't be a problem. Um, and, and um, you know, there's a bit more nasty stuff than that, but, you know, don't need to go into it. Um, and, and I remember being um, unemployed uh, and in the middle of winter working with my now wife um, at the Aroma Coffee Festival, <laughs> bagging coffee, um, and um, and then catching a bus home. And it was like I'd done everything right. Like I'd saved the business, but I had no job. I had to borrow money from um, one of my mates um, to live. And um, and I was like, oh, I need some inspiration now. So I Googled inspirational poems or yeah. <laughs> something. And um and Rudyard Kipling's "If" came up, and it's a uh, you know a yeah. very famous poem, and one I turn to very often um, when I have moments of self doubt or um a fear. And uh, and that was like a, a and then the next six months like that gave me some you know good insight. Um and then the next six months was really hard because um I just had bad news to deal with all the time. You know, I've got to tell the investors this. I've got to, and I and I struggled you know it's the thing of how do i pick myself up from this point and um uh great experience to go through because it did a few things one is it taught me resilience two is it um um made me, made me less of a dickhead to be honest like it was it was it humbled me and um and my wife and my love vicky would say it was the best thing that ever happened to me um and 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 you know i just look back on younger mike and think um you know of of all the mistakes I made and, and the way I behaved as well. Like one of the things that, um, I, I despised about, you know, in hindsight was how I would be if I was out and about in bars and restaurants and, you know, clicking my fingers for service and this type of approach, you know, it's so disrespectful to the people that are serving you, you know, um, and arrogant, um, you know, and, and, and it was, yeah, that, that, that was a hard moment to go through. Um, and then, and then the other side of it, how do you pick yourself back up? Um, mm. you know, and, and, and I remember having to write a list of 10 nasty things I had to do every day and thinking, look, if I can get through four or five of these, let's just call that a good day, you know, um, painful phone calls or you know, whatever. And, um, and then eventually, you know, you, 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 you pick yourself up and, um, Reestablish and isn't as bad as you think and you know there is a path out so so that was a sort of low point that stood out yeah
0: because the, the the part that's interesting there is uh, looking at your linkedin you're with time out i think of 14 years so was there a resurrection post this painful learning where you went back into the business
1: like any good story archived, <laughs> you've got to have a the redemption, the <laughs> redemption story, right? Like what was it? Yeah. Um, so the redemption story for this is like, is again, not too dissimilar to a lot of entrepreneurs who, who get exited and then have to come back into their own business. You know, it's a, a like, I'm really not putting myself on this pedestal. Um, but you know, it's not, it's a too test of ego, right? This.
0: It'll be a test of ego. Cause you, you've there's, got to prove there's,
1: yourself. There's, yeah. But then it's about like what your passion belief, um, is in something. And, um, and can you let it fail? And for me, the answer to that was no. Um, and so I've left out a few details in the interest of time. But, um, you know, um, the the redemption story was that I had to come back into the business. Um, well, because there was no more money left in the finance markets. We'd exhausted it. It was the bottom of the GFC. We'd brought in a partner, a publishing partner, um, which I'd network to get, by the way, um, my, my sort of uh, – common hallmark of my behavior is ability to build networks through diverse ranges of people. Um, but based on genuine relationships, mm. um, a sort of sidebar there is like people are people. And if you can engage with them, like not perceiving what value they have, you'll, the reward will come. Um, and, and you give freely of yourself whenever anyone asks, you know, um, Jordan Harbinger, a podcaster that I follow, um, would say, dig your well before you, you need it, mm. you know, is a way of thinking about it. Um, so, So, um, the redemption story ended up with me kind of coming back in and I was, um, I'd built a few client relationships and, and, um, and you know, in terms of, I was on a drive back from Melbourne with dad, we, we, we had some relatives in Melbourne and we used to drive up and down a bit and he was talking to me about my career and his perspective was, I sort of can't understand this, Mike, you know, you've got these degrees and then you like did this and it didn't work and now you're doing this and like. What's the plan here? And I said, Well, you know, I've got to try and build the revenues of the company back up. And and um and he said, you know, it's like that insight, I guess, as, as as we're talking through the podcast, you can see that my dad's had a big influence on my um life and not surprising. And uh and he said, Well, it sounds to me, Mike, that the only thing that these people understand is is money and sales. So you should just get good at sales and take control of the company that way. And that's what I did. I just came back in and um, you know, got really good at selling and because there was no money in the finances, all of a sudden the board who ejected me from the business were like, hang on a second. Um, Mike seems to be the only person who can hit his target. What's he doing differently to everyone else? So they invited me back as an executive um, and I was like, Oh, this is a interesting um, turn of events. Uh, why would you want me? I thought you said I knew nothing about publishing and um and if uh, you've got to put your own ego aside, but at this stage, like there is an element of well, if you've got self belief, you have you're entitled to to have you to make to have that thought, not necessarily make the comment, but you're entitled to have that thought. And I um got really good at selling and um, essentially built myself back into being a sales director, then the commercial director, and then I remember this really salient point. I want to tell it, and um, company's now exited, so I can. Um, but I, you know, my life, my personal life had sort of had to. Frankly, take a back seat while I sorted this stuff out and and um, so it was a sort of fight five, five by two thousand and twelve, I kind of got back on my feet um and and um and but there was this point where um they said, can you um come back and be the commercial director, but also do all these other jobs and I just said I remember sending back the p d saying, no, I come to this company, I do one thing, and that's sell don't want to do anything else, no legal, no finance, nothing." Um, and I want the right to fire everybody on the sales team and replace them with people that um, I, I know can do the job um, and those two things. And they, and then salary negotiation was, well, you know, of low salary and a high bonus. And I said, are you sure? Are you sure you want this? Like, And they said, yep. And I'm like, okay, let's see. 12 months later, the company couldn't afford to pay me my bonus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and um, And, you know, like because I knew at that stage how to go and get it done and was capable of doing it and then of course over a period of time they said well um you seem to be able to not only um deliver revenue but you also seem to be a good leader and can you actually come back and be the CEO of the company and um and I had the moment of joy when the chairman uh asked me a different and and I said just um just to clarify right like uh, last time a chairman asked me for a private chat you told me I uh, the chairman told me I knew nothing about publishing and shouldn't be in the company. So you'll excuse me if I ask what this meeting's about. And mm-hmm. there was a different chairman at the time. And he said, Oh, look, you know, um, I think you'll find it's a different chairman and it's a different situation. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and um, it's the power of belief, right. And redemption mm-hmm. in that moment. And then I took um the business. And I now sound like an egomaniac, but this is all historically accurate. Um, then I just, you know, did the necessary, built the business, um, And then was able to guide the company to exit and it was quite a big thing um and sorry not financially but just in terms of your own professional development Mm. leading a deal closing a deal and at that stage all the skills were coming back in you know negotiation i did all our legals for a fraction of the cost with a third-party supplier and just drove i remember um driving a deal to completion and uh took great joy in preparing a playlist um called Closing Time, which I still listen to. And on the day of close, like, you know, deals go on and on, you know, and like, all right, lawyers, you're making money here, but can we stop this merry-go-round? We've got to close this. I sent out this playlist to the whole deal team in London and Sydney um, and said, we're closing it today and I'm going for lunch at one. Um, And here's – if some of you um, like logic – this is what we're doing. Others, others of you who are musical might like enjoy listening to this playlist as you go about your day. There's all these songs about, you know, science ill delivered. I'm yours, M and M, you know, um, uh, you know, the moment, et cetera, These things, and and uh, yeah, and and you know, closed out what the 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 story as a CEO sold the company back to Time Out Group and um and got a result for investors, which um you know um at that stage was a was a career highlight. It's now been overtaken by other things, but yeah. That that was the redemption story for Time Out.
0: That's so, so inspiring. I think for people listening in, it shows you can be at the bottom and you can rise back, yeah? Obviously, I think what's evident is people and belief in that. Um, and then maybe we touch on that for a minute, Mike, around people and relationships because I think I, I'm similar to you. I really get inspired by people, just learning about people, curious, building relationships with no transaction, right? But I think in today's world, particularly the word networking, people use that in a very negative context. And I get that feedback all the time. People are like, oh, you're a networker. I'm like, not really, because to me, networking is transactional. I am trying to build a relationship and just be people, people, people. There's no benefit here that you give me this and I'll give you that. Um, what's your view on that? I think particularly young people today, I get a lot of messages. People go, oh, can I network? Should I start a podcast? Is that a good way of networking? And I go, well if you're doing networking for the right reason, you're doing it for the people curiosity learning aspect, then people are going to respond to that. But if you're doing it to meet someone at an event and go, "Hey Mike, can I get a job out of this?" People no one no one's going to positively respond to that. Like, hey, "What well, how's your experience been there?" because I think networking is not something you're taught. You kind of learn as you go.
1: Yeah, um yeah, it's a, it's a um, question I'm happy to give you my views on and um, I think a bit of both. Um, truth lies in between a bit. It, it's got this uh, stigma, right, like because it's um, it can be done in a way which is very transactional and, um, and, and a lot of people approach it in that way. People in Dubai, um, you know, there'd be networking events. Everyone's there to do business and you turn up and people just run up to a group of people and go, hi, I'm so-and-so and, th- and throw around seven business cards, run off to the next group and it's like, well, That's, thank you. I'm just going to put that over there because like, what, what, why am I going to like engage with you? Um, But, but I I recall um, that I would go to these events and um, which was part of my job um, and and my strategy was to just find a good conversation and um, and then just pursue that conversation, you know, wherever it led and it could be about anything uh And what would happen and and i and I've built this into a bit of a science actually over the years um so the first insight is let's find just put yourself in the right environment like that's the strategy component of it right like like if you want you've got to further yourself so just just saying um to someone, you should just be uh build empathy, which is a key word right empathy is actually what sits at the heart of good networking um but like me going and sitting out in a cafe in Annandale and networking from that perspective. If I'm trying to be, you know, like a you have a specific goal in mind, is probably not very strategic, you know. If, if, if for example, I wanted to, um, you know, make my way in investment banking, maybe Martin Place is a better cafe to sit in versus, you know, like, like. So there's an element of that strategy to it. But what you what you find, particularly in real life um, networking, um, it's different uh, these days where so much of this is virtual. But you and I've never met in person, right? So how, why are we talking now? Um, and partly um, it's because there's a empathy that was built because you respectfully um, looked into my background and approached me in a, a good manner. And people, leaders, good leaders, and I'm not sort of putting myself on that pedestal necessarily, but other other people have written about it, right? Like CEOs of companies are highly approachable, normally why they are CEOs. And as long as you um, can articulate, say, so articulate yourself clearly as to why and what it is you want, um people if they can help will help. Um if they're good leaders, like because that's what leaders do. So so I think that the um key to um real life networking, and I actually for years ran training sessions at timeout and would invite um people in for them, um, and still today believe it's a really good program. Um, it's really about um uh, you know, empathy and and in a live environment, like finding a good conversation and having fun. Because people are drawn to people who are uh, are engaged and and energetic and and so, um, you know, if if you in that real world sense, um, and I've you know, I'm a, for years I was a professional canapé goer. By the way, I wouldn't eat canapés at networking events <laughs> um, because for a few reasons. One is like you get stuff stuck in your teeth. Two, it's not very picturesque to watch someone eating. Um, generally speaking. Three, it gets in the way of conversations. Like, so, you know, I, like I, I normally eat something before and go and I've got a whole bunch of these sort of techniques. Um, but it's because like I, I know with good energy and um, conversation, I will find find someone interesting. And then um, and, uh, and inevitably it's the people that you least expect, other um, people that, you know, you can build a relationship with. If you can build a relationship with someone, then you've got them for life. Like, um, you know, Rennie, the chap I mentioned before, how did I meet him? Um, we we're on stage together at a conference and um, um, it was one of my more outstanding moments um, as I actually pulled out a soapbox and uh, stood on it in town hall and said, if not now, when, and when went on about um, the importance of nightlife in Sydney. As I sat down next to him, he goes, oh, I should have gone first. You know? <laughs> and We came off stage <laughs> and he said, I don't know, I don't know who you are, or what you do, but I know that we, like I, we've got to do some stuff together. And so, you know, I was like, okay, that sounds good. What are we going to do? And, you know, so, so, so I think that um there's a real um yeah like a misunderstanding um about about um you know networking. As if I can throw back to something we were talking about earlier, just for a second. Um, the the other thing too about relationships, and when I was telling my redemption story for timeout, um, you know the reality was I had clashes with board members, and I remember um, um because of of historical reasons and whatnot, and. I remember getting a bit churlish about the whole thing and um trying to um engineer uh board members to come off the board because I was like well a bit um you know you're getting in the way I, if if I'm being open and honest and you got is I, I was probably a little bit um vengeful as well about the situation there was a bit of pent up um you know a, aggression and um the reason I want to tell that story is that um you know I was counselled by uh that the, the second chairman um, and you need this kind of guidance. Um, you know, I think that we, we, we're a bit ageist as a society now. We forget that um, um, people with experience um, have are sources of knowledge, um, you know, and this is something which is changing increasingly as we, as we take more respect for our own, um, First Nations people and understand the importance of, of, of their culture and, and its experience. But there's an element of um, um, taking guidance when it's coming from the right place. And his guidance was, look, you know, I think that you can come we'll talk to these directors and we'll get them into line, but let's keep the board in the structure. And the reason I'm saying that is that the two people that I wanted to get rid of when we came time to exit, they were the two that got in and advocated for me as a CEO, you know. And I think that um Wow like I'm 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 um very um I learned from that about the burning of bridges and and well, and not to burn them basically. Or, or think very carefully if you're ever going to do it um, because everyone's a work in progress, you know, every, we, there is no such thing as perfection. And um, over time people's change, people can change and people have value that you may not recognize and you have value in yourself that you may, may not be recognized. And so if you've invested in a relationship um, and you're willing to turf it, you've got to be really careful about that. Um, so I just wanted to tease that back out because you know, I'd hate for listeners to think that, you know, um but, you know, there the was there was no villain to destroy is the point of that redemption story, right? Like it's the villain within. Mm.
0: Um mm. The really, really good really good insights and I think particularly really actionable insights, which is the point of the podcast. So thanks for sharing that. Now if we talk on your hustle, Mike, and I think you've just mentioned it that you are the twenty four hour Economy commissioner in in the state of New South Wales and and broadly working with with other cities in Australia and I don't know you're working with cities overseas as well. <clears throat> I w- I won't go into detail about the role because I think you've advertised that quite well in other podcasts and other interviews. Sure. What's been the biggest shift mentally? Like you've touched on the timeout space where again people people will be a big focus. I mean, government's all about people, all about influencing, lobbying, working with business. When you think of yourself, and I think it's evident you're a deep thinker and you reflect, what's been the biggest shift for yourself as an individual going from that time out private sector, entrepreneurial space into government in the middle of COVID? How's that been in reflection now? You've done the role, I think, for six, eight
1: months. I've got two thoughts on this. Um, And um, the first is unique to me in context where the role – itself is new and hasn't been done by anyone so there is no pathway for it um i'm oh, sorry no no it's not normal pathway is the wrong word but there's no prescription for it right there's no mm. this is what you must be <laughs> and and it's it, it sounds like a dream and it can also potentially be no pun intended a nightmare um because it's like you, you know well well what do i do uh, and and i've had you know and people talk about this imposter syndrome right like you're well it doesn't matter now because i am in the in the seat so it's me now and um i've i've had a lot of um i've had to come to peace with that um in the sense of saying well there is no um formula for how this job will be done i'm the person who is going to go and create the baseline against which the job future jobs will be measured right so like having just understanding that and then uh i I was listening to a fan, to an album by Aloe Blacker, uh one of my favorite artists and and uh you know sometimes you hit you hit by a song in a moment um called and this one's my way uh, um and, and it's not a uh cover of uh, Frank Sinatra's famous number but it's uh, his own song my way and and it and it talks about um you know I guess crashing and burning but either way you do it your way and and I I don't want to crash and burn in this role. Let me be clear. But I also know that like like there's no point pretending for anyone else, right? Like I need to be true to what I believe, how I act, and that will I've got to have confidence in that. Um. So so in in some ways, it's an entrepreneurial role within government, right? To start it within government, I've got to make it happen. So, so so that's one aspect. The other, but to to the wider question, like, um. New South Wales government is, uh, like 450,000 odd people. Like it's a significantly sized organization. It has, um, different, many different departments. And my job is a coordination role within government fundamentally. How do I get 10 to 15 to 20 different government departments working better together to deliver better outcomes for the citizens of New South Wales when it comes to the 24 hour economy, business capacity, going out, civic amenity, social, uh, enjoyment and connection. Um, you know, while balancing the interests of public safety, uh, particularly when it comes to um, risk risk around, um, you know, uh, alcohol is in, in particular. Like so, so it's a s- massive stakeholder uh, mapping and engagement exercise um, where uh, being able to um, network and um, and and understand the objectives of multiple people. Um, and multiple departments all with their own nuance and um, rhythm and measures and politics in some cases in a politically charged environment as well. Like that's the ecosystem is, 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 is politics. So um, the, the thing that, um, and why, why do, why do, why is this the conversation? Well, this is a conversation because fundamental to getting anything um, done in business in life is alignment. If you are looking at a, a relationship, Um, with a life partner um, if you aren't aligned uh, around uh, um, common values then you're going to have a breakdown in your relationship or your family right now um, my wife's in New Zealand with our kids because unfortunately um, you know for the circumstances we've just taken the view well you know that that's it makes sense for you to be with your extended family in New Zealand and and I'll be here and I'll focus on work but are we on are we on the same page or not Mm. you know let's have a good discussion i need to go and align different people within government around um uh, you know uh, the objectives of the 24-hour economy strategy and i can't do that if i want to tell people what i think they need to do Hmm. like i need to understand what they are motivated by and what their departments have been asked of them and then find a pathway to coordination and and um uh i guess like it's it's only four months in and it's um you know just the scope scale of it is um is you you know and and the thing is right like because you want to do it well like so make sure you go through the process thoroughly like and again part of my strategy is going back to that law of diffusion of innovation is you can create change by focusing on on you know the 20 to 30 percent and then and then use market forces use political dynamics use media coverage to to drive things further um so i guess like um um again going into it the the hustle side is really about building out relationships and um with key people within government who can uh, um sponsor me and coach me and i've got a good number of allies within um the organization um and i take counsel with them um you know often and uh um and you know as i say like you learn and the irony of being on a podcast where I talk too much, but most of my job is about listening mm. and 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 then, and then um, taking things away, thinking about them and then saying, okay, this is how we take this forward.
0: Mm. Well, one last thought, Mike, before we go into the final sprint. Uh, are there any things about this role that surprise people? Like what are some of the unknowns if you had to pick one or two? I, and I know you said you've only been in the role six months, but what has been the biggest unknown for yourself or when you talk to friends and family that surprises people?
1: well i mean you know it's the context isn't it and um um in, in that you know this was uh the problem we thought we were going to have is not one we we're currently in right? like yeah. we're, we're locked down at the moment um, my job is entirely about getting people to go out and um and um and so you know it's been not only um recontextualized but totally redefined by the current circumstances and yeah. so um um and again you, you know just and like you know, I'm really, um, not, I wouldn't say the word struggling, but I'm just trying to find my own way in the current context, and 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 be proactive and try to get people to recalibrate because humans don't like rapid change, right? This is the we like going and knowing what our thing is, but the circumstances are changing, and this is where, um, you know, um, I I think that. And I'm in government now, and you know, but I think even objectively, with that in mind, I have a significant amount of respect, and did before too, for um, civic leadership generally in this in this crisis, um, because um, the, this is now since March last year, and don't forget there was bushfires prior to that. So you know, the um, our political leaders, um, and I say that on both sides of the aisle at all levels, like have been you know hard at work <laughs> like for mm. a long time trying to help the country navigate through this and so uh, there's human fatigue and um but a tireless um a tireless spirit to try to you know see see us out the other side so um i think that the biggest it's not like i guess it's taken everyone by surprise the impact of the pandemic and how we navigate um through it and therefore for this role um to work um you know it it we need we need that going out economy um, infrastructure, our businesses that underpin it in good shape, um, as best shape possible. So, you know, it wasn't the job we thought we needed to do, but, um, really my role is now really aimed at, um, making sure that we get uh, economic relief, um, regulatory relief to businesses that need it. And then, um, really think about, um, recovery in a fundamental, um, manner and, and as best we can align and make sure that, um, government delivers hand in hand with industry, um, as we as we come into what needs to be a, a sharp recovery, so.
0: Hmm. Now, now, time for the final sprint, Mike. And I'm just looking at the clock. I've taken up more than the time I was given, so we'll try and make right. this a sprint. <laughs> um, is there?
1: I, I'm, 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 I'm no longer a lawyer. I don't charge in <laughs> six-minute increments.
0: Uh, is there one investment you've made that you consider the best in your life, and it doesn't have to be financial?
1: It's with my wife. Mm-hmm. She's as mad as I am. Um, <laughs> I came to this conclusion um, when I was doing a farewell speech from time out and uh, jumping into this uh, job um, because a bit like my dad, you know, like it's, you know, well, none of you to to find out, you know, so uh, best investment ever.
0: One thing you'd like to learn in the next six months?
1: I'm really learning um, fast how to, um, I guess, be Work in the bureaucracy or be a bureaucrat, you know. Um, and and the guidance has been, you know, you be you. But I'm like Mike. Also wants to learn how to do that bit because if I know that, then I'll do a great job at it. So yeah, really, it's about learning learning the ropes within government.
0: Is there one quote or person that inspires you?
1: Um, one quote. Um, well, I've already cited um uh, Rudyard Kipling. Um, yeah, no, I, I, the one that comes to mind. I'll misquote it now, but I've. I've the years had it in my head. I think it's. I think it's. Um. It's. Um. It's keep moving, keep moving, and it. It, it might be Comrade Hilton. I think, and um. But maybe because I think that that's the that's what is required of us now is keep moving. You know, don't sit still.
0: And last one is there one thing you do each week to get the best out of yourself mentally and physically.
1: Yeah. Um, I, and a lot of other people have a similar, um, routine, but, um, yeah, I'm pretty device-free in the mornings. Um, you know, wake up with a clear head, um, do some exercise, um, get some air and, you know, deal with thinking if you can, the big thinking tasks of the day. And so, um, there's a real rhythm to my day. And then I have a similar thing on the week, um, you know, on a weekly cycle. So, right now on a Friday as we're recording, you've got a big day ahead and then, um, you know, I'll, I'll be switching off. You've got to find, you've got to find that time um, to recharge.
0: Well, that's the finish line, Mike. Thank you so much for coming on and thank you so much for sharing your journey. It's been, I hope it's inspiring for others listening in and, and wish you all the best.
1: Oh, uh, thanks. And, you know, well done on your own, um, you know, commitment to this podcast. It's um important that, uh, you know, audiences uh, all over the place can kind of engage, um, And and find stories that inspire them and sometimes those real life stories are um, uh, are more relatable than you know perhaps the headline uh the headline ones that we read and see so often
0: i hope you took away some actionable insights and learnings from this conversation to apply to your lives and be one percent better every day and i look forward to sharing the next episode with you next tuesday stay tuned